Hello, and welcome to this Solus Church podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We pray that God speaks to you today through this message. For more sermon content and information, visit solaschurch.com. James 5 this morning, going to be looking this morning at verses 13 down through 18. So would you with me, if you're physically able, join me standing to your feet for the reading of God's word this morning out of James 5. Again, the scripture reading this morning, James 5 verses 13 down through 18. James writes, verse 13, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. This is the word of God for the people of God, to which we say, thanks be to God. You may be seated. Father, as we now seek to understand what you have revealed to us in your word. We are in desperate need of the guiding voice of your Holy Spirit. None of us, in and of ourselves, possess what we need, God, to take any step closer to you, to get any closer to what you're calling us to. We need your help. So we invite your kingdom to come right now through the preaching of your word. Would you work in our lives? Would you speak? God, I pray you'd speak through me. Give me some clarity of mind so that, Lord, I'm not confusing, but I'm clear. Uh, We pray for that. We ask that you would give us hearts to receive and ears to hear what you want to say. Holy Spirit, speak to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This morning, I want to begin with the title of my sermon that's going to be derived, of course, from this passage that we just read there in James. The title of the message this morning is Quality Counsel. I want to preach this morning on Quality Counsel. Uh, Now, I would guess that there are two things that every person in this room has in common. Probably a few things, but if there's two things specifically, it would be this. First, I would hope that in your life you have, first, experienced in your life some kind of good advice. I would assume that everybody in this room at some point has experienced really good advice, whether it was on a girl that you should pursue or um, a major life decision or how to navigate your finances. I'm not sure what it was for you, but I'm sure someone in this room has experienced really good advice. Some of the best restaurants that I frequent are because of someone else who tasted and saw that the Lord was good. Now, that's the first thing I'm sure we all have in common, hopefully. The second thing that I'm sure we all have in common is that we've all additionally have received probably some bad advice. You ever experienced some insight or counsel that someone gave you that just turned out to be the worst advice that you could have ever received? Maybe, on the other hand, it was a restaurant. They said, you got to try this place. And you went there, and you're like, no, I didn't. I did not have to try this place. Or, again, a relationship. you got to pursue this 
girl or this guy, and afterwards you're like, should not have taken that advice. Good advice, bad advice, hopefully two things that I would guess we all have in common. Now, the point of that is to say this, that the quality of the advice that we receive matters. It matters. Quality counsel is important. You know, I hear people say all the time, and I just need some advice. No, you don't. You need good advice. You don't just need any old advice. We live in a day and age where advice is at our fingertips. You can, you could just with the click of a button, with the swipe of your finger, get some kind of perspective about what to do for your situation. But God's word would challenge us to be wise about the kind of advice that we heed, the kind of counsel that we receive. We shouldn't be those that blindly follow any wisdom of man. We should test everything, test it to see whether or not it was quality. What, what would... I mean by that. When I talk about having quality counsel, here's a definition that I want to submit to you today about what I think is good advice or quality counsel. It's any advice or guidance that agrees and aligns with God and his word. Amen? Quality counsel is any advice or guidance that agrees and aligns with God, his character, his person revealed in the person of Jesus, and his word. You know, the nation of Israel had moments where they either would rise or fall based on whose counsel they were heeding. If it was the counsel of God, if it was something that agreed and aligned with who God was in his word, you saw great success. You saw a person that would prosper. The Bible says it this way, and I'm sure you've read this verse before in Proverbs 11:14, that where there is no counsel, the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Like maybe right now you're in a situation where you've you got to make a big decision. I would encourage you to seek counsel. But not just any counsel, the right counsel. This is what we saw with Israel. They would either rise or fall based on the counsel they were given. It's Proverbs 12, 15 that tells us that the thoughts of the righteous are right, but the counsels of the wicked are deceitful. You've got to be careful. Even if it itches your ear. Even if it makes some common sense, sometimes the direction of God goes against common sense. It goes against what you feel in your heart, which James says is desperately wicked and deceitful. You ever face the regret of following your own counsel? Right? It's been said that there is no one who's more influential in your life because no one talks to you more than you do. You ever been there where you're looking back going... In the moment, it felt so right. I had the thought. I had the leaning. And that's a dangerous place to be, to be your own wise counselor. Dangerous place. To be the, only, the person who's determining the steps you should take to, in your relationships, in your, your life. You see, there's this dependence on God that's displayed here. When we say, Lord, I, I don't want to be deceived to follow and fall into anything that's not of you. I want to follow you who else would we want to follow? I mean, let's really be honest about this. If God is, I should say, since God is real, and he created us, and he knows us and life better than anyone ever could, why wouldn't we go to him? Why wouldn't we? You see, the scriptures call God this incredible title, so many descriptions of God, specifically of the person of Jesus, who is God manifested in the flesh. God became a man. What if God was one of us? He was. Not a slob like all of us, but he was one of us. 
Jesus, God manifested in the flesh, and Isaiah tells us about this child that was going to be born and the son that was going to be given. The government would be upon his shoulders, and his name would be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is who God is. He's a wonderful counselor. A wonderful counselor. It says, in addition to this, in Isaiah 28, 29, it says, The Lord of hosts, who is wonderful in counsel and excellent in guidance. He's excellent in guidance. Hopefully you have some people in your life that reflect God in that way. They're just excellent in their guidance. You also may need to look at the people in your life that you're going, who am I following that I shouldn't be? You know, one of um, you know, my main responsibility, really, in my calling to serve our church and lead our church is not here on Sunday morning preaching his word. Most of my life and calling actually, on the other hand, involves a lot less talking, involves a lot more listening. Most of my time, I feel, throughout the week is spent uh, sitting down, and as I depend on God as much of my ability, it's helping me and some of the other leaders to be able to give wise counsel. And, you know, there's a few things that are necessary, and we, we all know this probably from giving it. I don't know about you, like, I feel like I've learned, I'm learning, learning, haven't learned. Um, you're like, Andrew, I sought counsel from you one time. No, you're still learning, bro. Okay, <laughs> you're right. I'm learning more and more how to counsel, I, I feel. And it often, most of my learning comes from, like, counsel I've received and how I've been counseled. And I've been like, I don't want to do it like that, right? People that all they want to do is, like, tell you what they think you need to do. And you're just like, okay. You know, they want you to blindly follow. Or someone that has all solutions but no sympathy. And it's kind of the saying, like, people don't, won't care how much you know until they know how much you care, right? It's, it's cliche, but it's true. Um, you see, I think a good counselor does three things. A good counselor first listens. Someone who can listen. Not assume they know where you're at, but, but they spend often a lot more time listening than they do speaking. Secondly, a good counselor loves. They hear, but they don't judge. They don't cast judgment. They don't throw stones when you are honest and sharing what you're feeling. They're able to kind of love you through it. And a good counselor knows. A good counselor knows. Right? Like, sometimes that's the biggest issue with, with trying to find someone to get counsel from. It's like two issues. One issue is where someone, they have all solutions, but they've never been where you're at. And so it's like, okay, I mean, that sounds good, but if you were in my situation, I can't tell you how much awesome advice people just, they had to give it. It was from the Lord, from them to me, was starting this church. Like, this is how it needs to be done. Like, C.S. Lewis talks about being weary of people who give criticisms to those who are on the battlefield when they do it from the comfort of their home. Like, this is, it's like, you pay less and less attention to the voices that are not on the front lines, don't you? And so, you know, that's sometimes one issue is people, they have all solutions, but there's no relatability. There's no, like, you don't really understand. But on the other hand, it's like, it's nice to have someone who relates to you. Like, that's a good thing. Like, I understand. I feel you. Anything else? I don't know what you should do, actually. I just, but I feel you. And we all, it feels good to be felt, you know, and, and, and to be understood. But there's a sense in which we need more than just I understand. But here's what God would have you do. And I'm pointing this out to say those are the counselors that we should seek to be. But can I say this? That is who God perfectly is. He's a wonderful counselor. He's not just a good listener. He's not just a good, a good friend who will love you despite what you go through. He's not just intelligent. He is, we could say, 
all-hearing, all-loving, and all-knowing. <laughs> he's all-hearing. You always have God's ear, and he's a great listener. You always have God's love. You can know and trust that this is who he is. He's a God of grace and kindness. And you can always know that as he loves you, he's a God who knows, man. His omniscience. Sometimes it's something that discourages us from engaging God because it's like, well, you already know everything anyway. But if we really grab hold of the fact that God knows all, it will not push us away. It will pull us close. God, you know all. So you know what I'm feeling better than my husband does. He's trying to dwell with me with understanding. But you know what I'm feeling better than anyone else does, God. You know, you know what it's like so much so that you walk this life. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4 that with Jesus, we have this high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses. Because he was a man. He suffered. He lived. He was rejected. He went through the same things that we went through. He's a good counselor. He's a wonderful counselor. He's an all-knowing counselor. And in that knowledge, he's able to give us not just sympathy, but also those solutions. Here's my wisdom. Here's what I think you need to do. Now, I found it necessary to lay that foundation. For us to challenge at the onset here, as we get into James 5, to challenge us with the question of, When we look at the volume of our lives, as we stand today, whose counsel are we most heeding? Whose advice are we most following? If it's not God, then who is it? Is it a friend that's been in your life for a long time and they've given a voice in a lot of significant ways, but maybe you've learned to trust in that voice at the expense of God's voice? Is it yourself? Is it your own thoughts? Is it your own perspectives? There is no counselor like God's counsel. There, there, there's no insight like God's insight. That's why Psalm 1 says this. It says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Let's live blessed lives, amen? Let's do this. Let's go after this. I, I want to be a blessed man. I don't want to be a foolish man. I don't want to be like Israel. I don't want to be like how Andrew mostly is, which is stumbling through following the wrong insights. I want to be a blessed man. If I want to be that, i got to be someone who doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. I don't stand in the path of sinners. I don't sit in the seat of the scornful. But his delight, look at this, is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. It says, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf shall also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. You know what the, the writer here of the Psalms is leading us to do? He's leading us to look at the fruit in our lives and trace it back to the counsel we're getting. If you don't like the fruit, you've got to go back and examine the root. Where's this coming from? If there's a lack of fruit in my life, Am I really following Jesus? Am I really following quality counsel, any advice or guidance that would agree and align with God and his word? God's word is sufficient for all things in your life. Do you believe that? God's word, we have been, the Bible says in 1 Peter that we have received all, 2 Peter, excuse me, 2 Peter 1, we've received all things necessary for life and godliness. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture has been given by inspiration of God and is profitable for instruction in righteousness. His word is more than sufficient. He's a wonderful counselor. And, you know, the book of James has been a great expression of that. Would you agree? James is, is such a counselor. 
He's an all-up-in-your-face counselor, which is a lot of times what we need. But he's a counselor that God has used by the inspiration of his spirit to change our lives. And he's counseled us through a lot of different things. And here at the end of James 5, it's almost like he goes on this rapid-fire counseling session with Dr. James here. And it's almost as if, I want you to imagine, like, as we're seeking God's counsel from his word, and we're getting it here through James, it's almost like we're sitting across from James for a, a cup of coffee, some Ethiopian halo pour-over from Maine, all right? It's a good cup. It's a good cup. All right? And, and he's walking us through all these different situations of life. Just imagine, you're sitting across, and James is kind of going, well, are you suffering? James, yeah. He goes, well, here's what you should do. All right, have you been sick for a long time? Here's what you need to do. I love this. Are you happy? Yeah? Here's what you need to do. I've never sought counsel from me. Hey, I'm really happy. I need some counsel. Um, I love James. Are you cheerful? Here's what you need to do. Right? Uh, are, you, are you stuck in sin? Here's what you need to do. Are you someone that God has put in a position where you are not the one who's sick receiving ministry, but are you the one praying for someone to receive ministry? Here's what you need to do. Let's look at what he calls us to do. There's five scenarios, five situations he counsels us through. The first is a situation and a scenario of suffering. Some godly counsel from James, quality counsel from James in suffering. He says there in verse 13, is anyone among you suffering? His counsel? Let him pray. The counsel for those in suffering is to pray. Now, by suffering, we might immediately go to like physical torment or something like that. The word here literally means enduring hardship, suffering affliction, okay? Life being unbearably hard for a myriad of reasons, all because this is not the life we were created for, amen? This is not the Garden of Eden. This is not the new heavens and new earth that we all look forward to where righteousness dwells. Suffering. Scriptures say in Acts that it's through much tribulation that we got to enter the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is there, and we go through tribulation to get there. It's the only path. So as we walk through this stuff, and as we can get really discouraged, James says, here's the best advice I could give you. You're sitting across from a coffee. He goes, okay, I'm suffering. He goes, here's what you need to do. Pray. Now, I'll be honest, it's kind of frustrating, right? Like, let's just be real for a second. If you came to me after service and you poured out your heart, right, you go, this is what I'm going through, and it's so bad, and my, and my dog just died, and, and I don't know why I said that, but, you know, like, I'm going to stop trying to create your scenario, but, you know, you, you just pour out your heart and your life, and you're broken, and you're like, what should I do? And I just go, What you're going to do is go, that's it? And you're going to look at me like, that's kind of what I expected you to say. You're a pastor. Like, it's a, such a pastor answer, you know? Um, my dad used to always, like, growing up, he used to always throw out the word, like, pray about it. Like, everything. We would joke about it. Like, Dad, the garbage can's going to rip. Like, the bag, what about you? He would go, pray about it. And he'd walk away. <laughs> that, that was, like, my classic dad growing up, you know? Pray about it. Pray about it. Just, and it can feel like that if we don't really understand the weight and the gift that James is calling us to here with prayer. Prayer. Now, we're going to do a whole series on prayer. I don't want to say too much. I feel like I want to save a little bit for 
next month as we get into this, but just as a preliminary definition, let me talk about what James means when he says, in your hardship, you should pray. Here's what prayer is. Just a quick definition. We're going to look a lot at this, but here's a definition this morning of prayer. Prayer, what is it? Prayer is intentionally directed communication with God. I mean, prayer for all that it's intended to be. A lot of times people are like, well, that's not prayer. You know, Nehemiah prayed like it is mind. I pray without ceasing throughout the day. I think about God. I'm not talking about, this is like such a trend in the church today. What's the bare minimum of everything Christian? It's like Jesus didn't die to give you the bare minimum. Okay? He died to give you the maximum of, a, of life and abundance in him. Come on. All right, good. So abundant life in him looks like prayer and a kind of prayer that is intentionally directed towards communication with God. Okay, this is prayer. So Jesus taught prayer. You close the door. You get alone with God. You pray. Like this is what prayer actually looks like. Right now, I am intentionally directing my communication towards you and whoever will listen to this podcast. Okay. Thanks, Dad. Hey, Dad. Um, now, if I were to go in the back room over here and, and keep talking and turn my microphone off, I would no longer be directing intentionally my communication towards you. Prayer is the same thing. I direct my communication to God. That's all it is. It's communication with God because we can, because he hears, because he cares, because he responds. We communicate with a living God. Not the ceiling, not the air, not our thoughts, but the Bible promises this, this incredible hope we have in prayer that God's there and he's listening, even if he's not talking back. He's listening. And so James says, pray, communicate with God. Two reasons why I think especially in suffering, right? Because we should always do this. Prayer is how we nourish our spiritual life. Okay? Prayer, Charles Spurgeon says, is the breath of faith. You go, I'm spiritually alive. Well, you're only as alive as you're praying. Prayer is the inhale and the exhale of the spiritual life. Often the inhale is God's word. The exhale is prayer. So it's a, it's a rhythm of the Christian life. So we should always pray. 1 Thessalonians 5, pray without ceasing. But it's like James is not saying don't pray when you're not suffering. But it's as if he's saying you should especially pray when you are suffering. Are you going through hardship? You should especially pray right now. If you're going through a tough time, have you intentionally directed communication with God? Two reasons. First is to cry out. We'll say this first. The first reason why we should is we should cry out. Um, something that suffering does is it creates a cry. A cry. Not, not just external, physical, emotional, but internal, deep, and painful. Have you experienced a cry that comes from pain before? It's louder than any noise could cry. Come on, it's, it's, it's deep, it hurts, and, and that's what suffering creates. It creates a cry, it creates a reaction, a pain that jolts this cry. And the tendency is to misdirect that cry. And so a lot of us, we only know to cry to other people and cry out to how we're feeling to them and seek that kind of, we talked about earlier, seek that counsel, that under, we, we cry out. Or some of us, we don't cry out externally, we cry out internally. So we're like a pressure cooker with this fake church face on. Doing the best I can to bottle up my pain. You weren't created for that pain. And in Christ, you do not have to deal with that pain that way. You can and you should cry out to God. Do you know prayer that way? Or do you only know prayer as thee thou father in thy heavens? 
so hollow or hallowed, one of the two be your name. When's the last time you cried out to God in your pain? This is a great story in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 20, um, where two blind men are heard and healed by Jesus in their suffering, in their pain. I just want to read it to you. Matthew 20 says, Now as they went out of Jericho, a great multitude followed them. And behold, two blind men sitting by the road, when they heard that Jesus was passing by, listen, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. That's prayer. Cried out, God, please. God, help. Then the multitude, isn't this so church people-ish? Look at this. Then the multitude warned them that they should be quiet. No, no, no. This is Jesus here. But they cried out all the more saying, have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. I love that. They go, I don't care what you think. This is Jesus. This is my wise counselor. I'm crying out to him. And you can't shut me up because he cares about what's in my heart. And I'm not letting the little murmurs and counsels that say, have it all together, be quiet, bottle it up. I'm not going to let that control me. I follow Jesus. And so I'm going to bring my pain to him. So Jesus, I love this, stood still and called them. What do you want me to do for you? Can I submit something? You've been praying for a while and you haven't heard God respond. Maybe it's because it's not really you praying. It's a fake you praying. And so God's not going to respond to someone that's not you. He's waiting to talk to the real you. So he's like, just call out to me. Come on. Now Jesus, he goes, I'll honor that. I'll respond to that. I'll hear that. I'll turn to that. And he does. He stands. He turns. He calls to them. And he says this. What a great answer to your prayer. Here's what Jesus says. What do you want me to do for you? It's like, well, I wasn't expecting that. Um, I would have prepared a list, you know. Um, but all they needed, all they needed was him. And they said, Lord, Lord, would you just open our eyes? So it says, so Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. Crying out to Jesus, man. I don't know what kind of counsel that's led you to the point to where in your suffering you don't pray like this. But can I remind you that the one that you're praying to prayed like this? When he was on the cross, he didn't sugarcoat what he was feeling. Why do we hide what God sees anyway? When he was on the cross, it says in Matthew 27 verse 46, at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out. With a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of us have never been able to do this with God. We, we don't know what to do with the Psalms. Because we understand a God that wants me to process what I feel before I come to him, not before him. There is no better place for you to process your pain than in the presence of God. There is no better place, I'll say that again, for you to process your pain than in the presence of God. Even Jesus modeled this so well. So we cry out. Now, the reason why we do this is because when we cry out, we are also able in prayer to lay hold. That's why, we, that's why especially we pray in suffering, to cry out to a God who hears and responds to who we really are. Jesus here was quoting Psalm 22, Davidic Psalm, a Messianic Psalm. 
but we cry out in that honesty to process before God, but it's also an opportunity in suffering to lay hold of God, okay? Um, I want you to think about prayer that way for a second, okay? Prayer, your prayer life is the true test of what you believe about God, me too, okay? Prayer is the place that we lay hold practically what we believe theologically. Does that make sense? Like, all the, you could sit here and go, yeah, man, I'm a, son, I'm a son and daughter of God. I have access to him through faith in Jesus. By the spirit of adoption, I'm free, Abba Father, and I'm in him, and he hears every petition. I, and, and that's great, but here's what I would ask that question. Do you pray? Do you employ that faith in prayer? Uh, the scriptures talk a lot about this idea of laying hold. You know, Paul talks about it in Philippians, not that I've already attained or I'm already perfect, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Do you know a Christianity that looks like this? Like, do you know a Christianity that's not just about beliefs held in your head, but it's truth held in your hands? Come on. Like, do you know a Christianity that's not just oh, ideas, concepts, okay? This is the, the kind of uh, faith that, that tastes and sees and touches and feels. I want to lay hold. How many of you guys want that? I want to lay hold of Jesus. I, I don't want to just sit at church every Sunday to Sunday being taught about Jesus. That's not why Jesus died. For me to learn about him? Go on YouTube and learn about him. Go on, go, he's much better teachers and podcasts out there. See, we're not here to lay hold on Andrew's teaching. We're here to lay hold on Jesus. We exist to lay hold. If he's there, we want to grab him. We want to, we're like that woman with that flow of blood, right? We just want to touch his garment. We want to lay hold of him. Lay hold of him. That's what God calls us to. Not to just have theological ideas in our heads, but to have Jesus and truth in our hands. That I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me and certainly in suffering. Have you ever felt the need to lay hold of hope? It's like, I got to hold it. I got to feel it. It's so far from me. I'm grasping for the wind. Hebrews talks about us as Christians. We are those who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. This is, this is again, this is a big difference between believing something about hope. The language of laying hold, it has to do with wrestling something to the ground. What Paul says is, God wrestled me to the ground. That's conversion, by the way. You didn't cooperate with God but he tapped you out, right? And you're like, I'm yours. And now that I'm yours, I want to lay hold of you. And in suffering especially, there's such a need to lay hold of hope. And I want to submit that prayer is the way that we do that. Prayer is the place in suffering that I'm able to practically lay hold of God. If not, at, if not in prayer, where do you lay hold of God? If not in his presence, coming before him. When I lay hold of God in prayer, here's, I just said it, but here's a few things that I'm able to lay hold of in my hope of God. I'm able to lay hold of his presence. Like you can know that God is with you because you've been taught that since VBS. And then in your suffering, you can pray and lay hold of his presence. Are you with me? And say, Lord, you're here and I'm looking to you. I'm employing what I believe about you by praying. And leaning into you, we experience his presence. And it's just this sequential step that happens. And this has got to be a daily rhythm. Jesus, we're going to learn. He did this all day long, every morning, every evening. It was such a rhythm in his life to lay hold of the presence of God. And then when you lay hold of the presence of God, you begin to lay hold of the perspective of God. You begin to go, you begin to go okay, this is hard, this is difficult. But in prayer, I lay hold of your presence. You're with me right now. I'm engaging your presence. And through engaging the reality of your presence, I all of a sudden have a new perspective because you're with me in the fire now, God. 
I may feel like I'm surrounded. But as I lay hold of your presence, a new perspective comes and I realize I'm surrounded by you. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. I have this perspective because God is with me. And that perspective through prayer, it eventually, it leads to power in our lives to keep going. If we're not praying, we're not going. We're quitting. Some of us have quit. I just want to encourage you, God is as close as a look. Draw near to him, the Bible says, he draws near to you. It's good counsel. James says, in suffering, make sure you don't cry out everywhere you go. Stop trying to lay hold of your own relief and understanding there is no peace and there is no presence, there is no power, there is no perspective like that of God's. Amen? The next scenario he leads us into is not just times of suffering, but times of blessing. He says, first, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Secondly, is anyone among you cheerful? Second scenario. Now, um, you know me, I love to alliterate here, okay? So I, I got a modern word for cheerful that I think makes more sense in our cultural context. And also, I feel like it really sums up what it means to be in a season of blessing. It's to be stoked. Now, James goes, is anyone suffering? Now, now he goes, is anybody stoked? Who's stoked? Now, uh, in the Greek, <laughs> comes from the word stokonos, and um, it's, it's a joke. It's a stoke joke. Um, um, I have this commentary online. It's great. It's called the Urban Dictionary, and... The Urban Dictionary, to be stoked, is to be intensely and completely enthusiastic, exhilarated, or excited about something in life. Okay. Now, this is what James is talking about. The word cheerful, literally there in, in the Greek there, literally means encouraged. So one scenario is like, it's really tough, it's really hard, pray. Next scenario now is to be encouraged, cheerful. Like, so, I feel like i got to say this. Um, did you know that you're allowed to be a happy Christian? Now, we might go, yeah, yeah, I knew that. Don't you feel like sometimes we suppress our joy? Like, because there's so much going on in this world, because other people suffer. Now, this doesn't mean that if someone's suffering, laugh about how good your life is. That, that's, that's being a jerk. That's what that's being, Right? The Bible says to do the opposite. In Romans 12, it says that we should rejoice with those who rejoice, and we should weep with those who weep. However, that does not mean that you are not allowed to be stoked on Jesus. Are you stoked on Jesus? And let me also say this. Being stoked on Jesus, I think a lot of times we could, I look at this passage here, and I'm like, oh, suffering, stoked but they don't have to be mutually exclusive. Did we know that? Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer. Be stoked. I've overcome the world. Okay? There's a reason through Jesus to be intensely and completely enthusiastic, exhilarated, or excited about something in life. If you have nothing else today to be excited about, trust me, you have enough in Jesus. 
A lot of reasons to rejoice. A lot of reasons to say amen. A lot of reasons to celebrate when things are good. Now, now here James is talking, though, about the unique scenario of, okay, here's your scenario. We don't want to suppress, like joy, fullness of joy is found in Jesus. And, and that should be leaned into and expressed and walked in because people look on at that and it's contagious, guys. Especially in suffering. Like, I want that. Now, James is over a cup of coffee. He's like, okay, so tell me about your situation. You go, I'm stoked, James. I'm stoked. You know, I just got engaged. You know, I just got a new job. What's up? You know, I'm saved. Hello. It's going pretty good for me right now. I just got married, he said. All right. You know, things are good. Things are good. James, what should I do? Sing. Now, maybe I'm immature. This is funny to me because no one's ever told me to do this. Andrew's gone in your life. Oh my gosh, I can't even tell you. Like, the Lord's just been so good. I'm just so stoked. You know what you should do? Sing. How's your singing life going, you know? I know prayer. This is not one of those spiritual disciplines that we check up on, you know, in our communities this week. How's your, how's your singing going? Is it good? Did you sing this week? No? Oh, we'll pray. Pray that you sing more. Singing. <laughs> Such awesome counsel. <laughs> Are you stoked? Yeah, James, what should I do? Take a sip of this coffee. You need to sing more. Like, now, by the way, um, this is not, like, doesn't mean something else. Like, oh, pray, you know, musically. I, I, I don't know, you know, like, whatever we could, like, twit. Like, this means what it says. Sing. But this doesn't mean sing in the sense of, like, it's a beautiful morning, a beautiful day, you know, my, oh, my. You know, like, this is not the kind of song that James is. He's not just saying, hey, sing happy songs because you're happy, which I love doing that because I love music. He says specifically, sing psalms. Psalms. Now, uh, a psalm from the, from the Greek psalmos, the Hebrew tehillim, a psalm is literally a song sung to the accompaniment of musical instruments. Pretty much God's into alternative rock is what this is saying. Indie a little bit, band of horses, explosions in the sky, the killers, that's kind of his genre. Um, they're all Christian bands, I promise. Um, now, God here, he's saying, you know, th- this, is, this is what we, we need. Now, but for the Jews who are listening to, God, to this council, hey, sing songs, they know what James is referring to. He's re- referring to the song book of Israel. These are Jews he's writing to. He's referring to the book of Psalms. Forever I thought it was the book of Psalms. It's not. The peace silent. The book of Psalms. And, and the, the book of Psalms, 150 Psalms long, is made up of songs of praise to God. Now, there's also laments, there's also prayers of confession, but, but the Psalms of Israel, that was their worship set. When they could, would come together as a people gathered around the glory and the person and the presence of God, they would sing to him. They would sing praises to him. And can I tell you this? This was commanded by Scripture. This is a command. Did you know this? You go, I'm not really a, a singing type. I, you know, I do a little hip sway during the music. Sometimes I get a hum going, all right? Every now and then I might let out like, you know. But you go, I'm not really a singer. That's not really my thing. Well, guess what? Prayer is not really your thing. Obedience is not really our thing. 
but it's Jesus' thing. Do we know this? You know, Jesus with his disciples, the, the scriptures tell us in the Gospel of Matthew that after he was done uh, praying with them, they sung a hymn. Jesus like, okay, guys, let's sing. Now, maybe that would be weird if you're with your bros later this weekend. And you're like, guys, let's sing real quick. Like, may, like, it's different. Culturally, it's unique. It's even unique that we do it every Sunday morning. We get together and we sing songs, but it's something commanded in Scripture. This is not something that's just pragmatic. A lot of us look at musical worship on the front end of the service as a buffer period for me to get to church. But if we knew what that time was for, we would not dilly-dally. I'm just going to come for the Bible study. You're not here for a Bible study. You're here to gather with the, with the saved, redeemed people of God. And as you get together with the saved, redeemed people of God that he's formed from every tribe, nation, and tongue, you are here to sing praises to God. We don't start with worship pragmatically. We start with worship theologically. So that people, if they ever, you know, sometimes there's people on property here, there's a little base. What do you guys do? And they can come in right at the start, and they go, oh, you're here for Jesus. You're singing to Jesus. You're singing his praises. And so scripture would encourage us to be those that employ this discipline. It's Psalm 30, verse 4 in the Psalms, which says that we should sing to the Lord, you saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his name. Sing to the Lord, you saints of his. I'm not really a singing person. Are you a saint of his? Well, you're a singing person. Welcome to the, to the chorus, okay? Welcome to the choir. It's also in Colossians chapter 3. Sing to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I love what it says making melody in your heart to the Lord. Some of you are like, I don't sing because no one wants me to sing. But God doesn't look at the sound of your song. He looks at the motive of your song. He looks at the heart of your song. So you can sing like a tenor or you can sing like a tremor. It's your heart making melody to God that gives him worship. He's not more worshiped by people with good voices. Some of us come from cultures where that's how it is. Like, wow, those people are worshiping. I can't ever be a worshiper like that person because I can only sing one note. That's not worship. It's not the sound of the music. It's the heart that responds to who God is. And when we do that in our, and this is so important, in those good times, it's an opportunity to do two things. Acknowledge the source of my blessings, number one. And to also experience the joy of my God. When I sing to God, when I praise him, I'm acknowledging him, especially, by the way, especially in times of cheerfulness. If things are going really good for you, you should sing songs to God as a reminder that things are going good because God is good. And he gives every good and perfect gift. There's a tendency in suffering to lean into God. There's a tendency in blessing to be rather more independent. That's why it's really hard for a rich man to inherit the kingdom of God. He doesn't know what it looks like to depend on God. But James says, are you being blessed? Good. Sing to God. It's a way for you to acknowledge the source of your life. So get here at 1015 on Sunday morning. I promise there'll be a seat waiting for you. We start right at 1030 and you could come in ready not to go through the worship before the teaching, but to acknowledge who's the source of your life through worship. Amen. And when we do this, we experience the full joy that's found in Jesus. This is also a cool thing. Psalm 1611 says that it's in God's presence that there's fullness of joy, not dullness of joy, not partial joy. It's only in Jesus that there's overflowing joy. And C.S. Lewis, I love the way he describes praise. You know, he, he says praise is such a unique thing that God has given us to experience his joy. Um, 
And, and in talking about this, what C.S. Lewis says is, one of the biggest mistakes we can make about prayer is to think that God needs it from us. Like, like, like a middle school girl fishing for compliments. Like, come on, praise me. Like, I'm insecure or something. Like, come, I need you to tell, like. C.S. Lewis would say this. We don't praise God because he needs us to be who he is. We praise God because we need to praise God. We need to. Because we're going to praise something, but nothing can handle the weight of our praise like God. That boyfriend, that girlfriend, that job, that pursuit, that career, whatever it is. And C.S. Lewis says, it's, he says this actually, he says, it's a gift. Praising God is a gift from God to us to experience joy in him. I love the way he, he follows this. He says, you know, you haven't really, he says, you haven't really experienced the joy of something until you've praised it. Think about this. He says, joy that is not expressed in praise or celebration is a stunted joy. That's why we have Instagram. We love ourselves sometimes too much, right? Enjoy me. But sometimes, sometimes it's, sometimes it's the moments in life. Like for me, uh, at Andrew Lundy, two O's, two E's, you follow me, and I'm telling you, what you'll find, 90% of my Instagram stories is who? My kids. Hopefully someone didn't say yourself. That would have been really sad, okay? My kids. Want to know Why? Because they give me great joy. You know how I get greater joy? I share that joy with other people. And it's like I stepped into another level of joy. When I praise it, when I say this is awesome, this is great, I show it off. And that is what it's like to praise God. When you praise God, when it's not about those lyrics, when it's not about who's playing or the environment or how many people are here, when it's about who God is as being worthy of my praise, when I praise him, I step into a greater level of my enjoyment of him. In his presence is fullness of joy. Are things going good? Praise God. Acknowledge the source. Experience the joy. Thirdly, scenario is when we're sick. When we're sick. He says, if anyone among you sick, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord and the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed any sins, he will be forgiven. This third scenario, James says over a cup of coffee, and he goes, oh, you're sick. Now, the word sick here is not like the common cold, influenza, whatever it may be. The, the idea here is literally some, some kind of um, illness that has plagued you to the point of weakness. And this is not like um, don't go to the doctor kind of thing. And like, okay, like, so Jesus said this way. Remember Jesus said this, that those who are sick need a physician. I'm just going to follow Jesus on that one. Okay, I'm not going to not look to God as my great physician, but Jesus, said, Jesus, who's my master, I follow him. He said, he was using an illustration, talk about sinfulness, but he made a statement of fact, those who are sick, go to the physician. It's okay to go to the doctor, okay? Okay, no, good point. All right, let me write that down. All right, now, what James is talking about here, though, is someone who is sick to the point of weakness. It's, it's almost as if they've, they've spent every dollar. It's almost as if they've tried every medical option. They've done every essential oil, except the Lord's oil. Come on, hello, all right? They, they've done it all. 
but they're weak now. And it's just kind of like it's the woman with the flow of blood who, who couldn't find healing until she went to Jesus. And this is talking about it. If you're in that situation, you're a person who's weak from illness, here's what James's counsel is. He says you need to go. By the way, here's his encouragement. I'm going to give you one word for it. It's reach. Reach out. He says you, you need to call for the elders of the church. The onus is on the sick person here. Reach out to the elders of the church who are the servants that God has gifted to lead his church. They're not the senior pastors. They're not the big dogs. They're not the CEOs. There are no CEOs in God's church. Jesus is the head of his church. And in his grace, he has chosen some to serve the church by leading her. They're called elders. Okay? They're called elders. They're actually not called pastors. They're not called senior pastor, bishop pastor, super pastor, expert preacher pastor, pop pastor, celebrity pastor, than like deacons. Elders who pass out communion. You know, like elders. In the New Testament, pastor, elder, bishop, three Greek words that are interchangeable. Oftentimes you have verses that say, two elders, shepherd, pastor, poimen, shepherd, the church of God, which he's purchased with his own blood, oversee the church. It's a, it's a call to leadership. Okay, um, that's my heart. Can we just, we'll talk about this this summer. We're going to get into some doctrine stuff this summer. We're going to talk about the church and how the church should be governed and ordered. And this is my heart for our church. My heart is to never be a man that leads soulless church alone. I've seen churches, many churches crumble and fall from the top down because of untouchable celebrities that bleed like you and me. And so we're going to set this up. We're going to safeguard this. This is our heart in every way to make sure that we are a church that's led by a plurality of elders. Not a single preacher that has all the, the best gifts in the room. He got here first, you know. Now within that, there's calling, there's roles, there's leadership. But the ultimate vision for the church in the, in the, in the scriptures is that you would have these called, not just smart, called. I went to seminary. Who cares? Called. Qualified men that lead the church by serving her. And one of the ways that the elders are to lead the church and serve the church is in the direction and the teaching theologically from God's word. We're to make sure that we stay on point with Jesus. And we guard against that. That's one of the qualifications of an elder. Another calling of an elder is to care for the sheep. The word pastor, actually, in the New Testament, it's mostly used as a verb. Do we know this? A pastor does an elder, an elder pastors, an elder shepherds. So the, the primary characteristic of a shepherd is that he's with sheep. He's not on his ivory tower, okay? See you guys, God bless you, go to my green room now, adios, okay? He's not on, he's, hey guys, my name is Andrew Lundy, I am a sinner. I sin a lot, I'm really good at it. And I am in desperate need of the same grace that you need. And anything I preach is not because I think I'm awesome and I've mastered it, because it's like, but it's like it's in the Bible and I desperately need it too. So I'm never going to serve what I myself don't eat. This is the, this is the idea. I, and, and maybe I'm being kind of ranty here. I think mainly it's because I feel like I need to tear some things down. Um, all right, thanks, Joe. Um, but the heart at the end of the day is that, listen, this calling is to serve. And so those who are sick... The, the calling is look to those elders. Now, as a church right now, we are in the process of developing elders, which comes through the test of time. There's no test like the test of time. 
we right now, in case you didn't know this, we have a board of elders that are not in our church, but have temporarily come as wise counselors to hold me accountable and hold our church doctrinally accountable and to speak into the decisions of our church. Um, over time, I believe that God is and God will raise up other leaders within our church. The scriptures say in 1 Timothy 5 not to lay hands on an elder too soon. Some of the best advice I got was from a pastor in Chattanooga, in Tennessee. I'm just laying this out there for you guys right now. Some of my notes. I guess we're going to close in prayer in a second. Um, some of the best advice I got was to, was to um, put my head down and plow and to pick it up in a couple years and see who's still there. Some of the best advice I got. And I can tell you, all I had to do was do that for like three months, by the way. You know what I'm saying? All right, see ya. Um, there's a sense in which that test of time, it reveals what, what, what's underneath the surface because we can all play church. Um, but th there's a process there, and those elders are called to especially care. And, and the way that they care is they care through praying for the sick, praying for the sick. Now, for the sake of time, we won't look at the last two um, deep dives that James takes here with counsel. But, but I want to say this. The point of all this is to say this. The job of the elders, the job of the church, the calling that is clear here from Scripture, no matter who you're going to, is that you go with what you're in to Jesus. You take it to Jesus. Whether you have to cry out for him to hear you, or you have to sing out for you to be reminded of who he is. Or you have to reach out to his church to bring help and healing, to pray over your sickness so that you can be made well. He goes on to say, or whether you have to be so radical against your sin that you take the step, which we all should, which is you confess it and you bring it out into the light. When you're praying for someone, just like Elijah, you pray in faith. The point is, is that Jesus is the star of this. He's the one that we go to. Like, Jesus is the wisdom of God, is the idea. And so, so we'll close with this idea. I'll invite the worship team to come up. That if you're walking through some difficulty right now, you're walking through some hardship right now, if not even that, if you're just not sure what to do, the simplest Best answer is go to Jesus. Just go to him. You go to him and what you find is you find someone who will hear your cry, someone that you can lay hold of through prayer. You go to Jesus, you'll find someone that will remind you that he is the good, good father. He is the one who gives good gifts. He's the one that is the ultimate joy in your good times. You go to him when you're sick and Jesus is the one who's the great physician that can do what no earthly physician can do. He really can. So maybe today, that's what you got to do. You got to come up to the altar after service. You got to call for some of the leaders and the elders, and we're going to pray over you. And whatever that ailment has been, we're going to believe that the prayer of faith will save the sick. In God's timing, He's the one that determines that, but we believe that He can and He will. But whatever it is, we go to Jesus. Maybe there's sin in your life that you have been putting your best foot forward in every effort to make sure it stays under wraps. James would say, confess that. Confess that. You can't manage your sin. Sin, sin, because sin's not an employee, right, that works for you. It's a master that enslaves you. So we confess it. We bring it to Jesus. And in all things, we see him as the wisdom and the counsel of God. Thanks again for tuning in. We pray that you were blessed by today's message. If you'd like to visit us in person, we gather at Don Estridge High Tech Middle School in Boca Raton, Florida, every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. For more sermon content and information, you can check out soulischurch.com.